Welcome to Chai Can't Even, a podcast where we chat with young adults about life, faith, struggles, and joys, and why they choose to stay in community of Christ. I'm your host, Brittany Mangelson, and today I'm really excited about our episode with my friend, Kinsey Haringa. Uh, Kinsey, we had Kinsey's husband on Tyler a few weeks ago, and now it's Kinsey's turn to tell her story about uh, community of Christ and her relationship with community of Christ. So Kinsey, welcome, and why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Um, I'm Kinsey Horinga. I'm a mom of two. I live in Independence, Missouri. Um, I used to live in Oklahoma, Edmond congregation. And right now I'm a stay-at-home mom. Awesome. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to getting to know uh, you a little bit better and to be able to highlight some of your stories. These interviews where we just get to know uh, young adults that grew up in community of Christ are some of my favorite just because your stories are so different and yet there's similarities through all of them. So I'm excited to dig into yours a little bit more. So let's get started just kind of at the beginning. Did you grow up community of Christ? If so, did you attend camps? Did Was your family involved? Um, just kind of tell us about your upbringing. Okay, yeah. The Edinburgh congregation I went to, yeah, I've, we've been in the church for a while, my family has. So my grandparents went to the same congregation, and like, it's just a big family thing. And so, yeah, and I grew up going to reunions and camps, and that's all been very, very, the camps were especially meaningful to me. And I enjoyed having, like, in Edmond, we had a small congregation, and they really be, they really were my church family. So growing up, it was a very small church, and at the time, it was mostly, like, I mostly just remember male sermons. I still feel like Women in the Priesthood was still newish, and, you know, it's just, like, it kind of, it takes a while for it to grow out. Because at one point, I was going to church with my aunt and uncle as well, but then once it hit Oklahoma they left the church. And so that was sad. I, I missed going to church with my aunt and uncle and my cousins. But yeah, I uh, I was sad that they left. We're a very tight-knit family who would go to CC's with my dad's parents and his brother and my aunt and the cousins. So they were two boys and we were two girls. And we would have, we would have so many debates about roles of women. And I didn't like, I didn't realize how much I was fighting for women because we would have fights like, oh, girls can't do this. We're like, yes, they can. Girls can do, you know, just as much as boys can and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like that was, I feel like in some ways it was related to them leaving the church. Like it felt like that kind of went together. Do you mind me asking, did they leave over women's ordination? Like, was that a hang yes. up them? Yes. Okay, so your family was conflicted on that reality of community of Christ. Mm -hmm. In your congregation, how, like, how was that tension? Did you, as a little girl growing up, like, did you feel like a second-class citizen, or were you nurtured and mentored by leaders kind of equivalently to the young boys, or how how was that experience? So I feel like the patriarchy was still very much the head I was nurtured and loved by the women in the congregation and and by the men it just felt like the patriarch still lingered 
very much. Um, but like my grandma is like one of the first uh, women to get ordained in our congregation um, and encouraged my mom to be ordained, like, you know, to, to answer the call because somebody had said she was calling and she didn't know how she felt about it. And so that's, so I feel encouraged in that way, you know, um, but it did feel, it was still very conservative. I didn't know, I don't, I didn't know a lot about the world until college. Fair. And I feel the same way. So did you, did you like go to camps at all? Or did you ever go to world conference as a kid? Or were you ever exposed to the larger church as a child? Yeah, um, I actually did Conference Kids 2000, I believe, because I think the thing was Vision 2000. That's what I remember. So I was Conference Kids uh, with my sister. And then, yeah, we went to camps, you know, that were the Oklahoma camps and everything like that. And after high school, they had an international IYF in Thailand that I got to go to. And that was amazing. I got to meet different kids from over the United States which was cool because I hadn't really done that before. And then people from India and Sri Lanka. And it was just cool to actually be in a different country, meeting with people that have the same, you know, they're the same community of Christ as us. And and yet they have different cultures and all that kind of stuff. It was very eye-opening. It was amazing. It, it actually, it quite changed my life. At the time I was in a, a really bad relationship and uh my friend Priya or well, who who became my friend she's from India and um she was to have an arranged marriage soon and in my brain you know like we learn stuff about other cultures like just tidbits and stuff and you're like oh that's probably back in the day they probably don't have arranged marriages anymore and to learn that that's that was still happening and you know, how it worked out. Her aunt was there and she'd had an arranged marriage and her arranged marriage had worked beautifully. Um, you know, it was rough at first, she said, but then it worked out and it was, it was good. But just to realize the, the privilege that I had to choose and to say, you know what, this is a horrible relationship I'm in. I have the power to get out of it. I should, you know, it kind of empowered me to feel my own power and get out of it. Um, that was a pivotal moment for me because I definitely felt stuck in that relationship. Wow. So I've done a fair amount of these uh, interviews before and I've never heard a story like that. So that like in a very, very real way, how being confronted with a different culture made you analyze yourself and the realize the ability that you were empowered and that that experience empowered you and caused you to act and make a different kind of choice for yourself um that's that that's heavy but like also incredible <laughs> and, and just the way that they viewed their faith and how like strongly and and how differently like we you know the different cultures do faith and just like hearing some of their convictions when I had questions and just being like wow you know I just I don't know there's something very holy about or sacred about seeing their the way that they their perspective yeah absolutely 
So you said that this was after you graduated? I'm sorry. I know you said it, but. Yes, it was 2009. Um, okay. So yeah, that was that's when I graduated high school. So I guess just keep telling your story then. So what did you do after or after high school? I don't know if you went to Graceland or if you just keep sharing your story. Okay. So I did go to Graceland. My sister was there and I, I wanted to go there and they had a really, they had a really great education and that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a teacher. And so I went there and I got to be with my sister for a year and that was super fun. College was a huge change for my religious perspectives and my world perspectives as well, like at the start, because I, I was definitely more of a black and white person at this time. And, you know, you grow up with certain things and your parents are doing their best and wonderfully, and they teach you these things to help you grow and nurture you. My parents are great. I love them. But there's just like these things that you get to learn by knowing other people and saying, Oh, like sometimes or alcohol is like a big no in our family. And so just like meeting people and then realizing that they also drink and that I love them and that they're not like these horrible people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like that, but so that's where like the little worldview comes in. But there was a program called Community of Christ Leadership, CCLP program. Yeah. And so I was a part of that. And Oh man, just the classes that we got to take. Tony and Charmaine blew my brains out <laughs> in a good way. They, so instead of taking the Bible literally, I started to think about the context. And so I took um, Old and New Testament with them. I actually sat in on, I think, I think, New, I think Old Testament is the first semester. I actually didn't take the class until senior year, but in freshman year, I sat in on it and I basically took the class without any credit. So <laughs> that's how interested and into it I was. And so the, just opening it up and to like just expanding my horizons completely and being surrounded by other people who had like, that's where I met Emily Rose. And other people who had a significant amount of influence on my journey spiritually. Learning about context and actually learning about other Bible verses and the, the Bible that they had us get versus, you know, the, the Bible that is the Community of Christ Bible, uh, the inspired version. The inspired version versus the NRSV is, I think, which is the Bible they have us get for class. And um, just seeing it a different way. And I really appreciated the after class sessions that they would have every once in a while because I was really struggling and being able to talk through it with them and feel safe, safe to question. Because I feel like as a kid, I didn't feel like it was safe to question. God was God. God is a man. Jesus, you're a sinner. You need to repent. I feel like I felt like I was inherently bad and, you know, feeling like I needed to like punish myself. I don't even know where that came from, but like, I'm inherently bad. So I need to, I, you know, God really needs to save me or, you know, low, I'm very lowly or something. I don't know. I'm not sure where this thought process came from, but just that maybe I'm not good enough for God. 
that's I think that's what I think that's what it was I didn't think I was good enough for God so I was always trying to meet try and do better and try and I don't know it's kind of hard to explain a little bit but hopefully that makes some sense it does and I definitely grew up with a similar understanding and construct of God that I was always trying to prove that I was worth it that I was good enough that I was worthy that you know there is uh, uh, this idea this theological idea in the book of mormon particularly that humanity is like naturally evil and bad and like that's the starting point and i'm less familiar with how that messaging has seeped into community of christ but in my mormon upbringing that definitely was like the undercurrent right it was it was a starting point and I'm assuming that that has leached into community of Christ in various places too, because of other people's, you know, interpretation of the book of Mormon or how they view it. And just, it's, it's just kind of like seeped in our, um, well, and to be clear, this is also like a Christian understanding as well, um, among other denominations. So not every Christian and also like hashtag, not every Mormon, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's there. It definitely is there. So yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, like we have to make it up to God somehow that yeah. we are inherently evil. And yeah, we, I, I, I keep going back and forth. I'm sorry, but like I grew up doing Bible study, like this thing called BSF um, and went with my dad and like, like Bible study is such a big part of my upbringing. You know, we did the Book of Mormon and in um, the Community of Christ Book of Mormon. I'm not really sure on the big differences there but um we you know that was one of our classes that we had as a kid and you know like studying was very um a big part of studying the bible was a big deal um and so picking apart the bible with tony and charmaine was that was tough (laughs) um and then I just, it's all like, it's traumatic. It was traumatic. <laughs> and so there's a part of me that doesn't remember a whole lot of it. Like the details, the nitty gritty details. I mostly just remember taking a bunch of classes from Tony and Charmaine and Bob Mesley and being mind blown and learning about different religions and learning more about ours and, um, and just like different theologians and just being incredibly educated. And I loved it. I, I would audit a lot of classes. Like I audited a bunch of Bob classes. You would think I was a religion major. <laughs> All of the things I audited. I, I couldn't get enough. And yet it was breaking me apart. Like I would go to Emily Rose and we'd go to the coffee shop in Lamoni. And I would just cry and cry. <laughs> and she would let me in and be like, I don't want to be reincarnated. I don't know what I believe. Like, that's like the one thing I was like, I don't know if I, what if I don't believe Jesus was like a, like the son of God? What if I just believe he was a prophet? Like, because I see value in these other teachings, like they're very similar all of these different religions have similarities and they have the golden rule and they have value. 
and I want to uphold that value and I appreciate the things that I can learn um, from these different religions. But then there is this other half of me. So I feel like I'm a, a person that's cut in two. I have this half of me that believes in a more liberal thing. And then there's this other half of me that can't seem to let go of the old, like, will I go to heaven if I don't Jesus, <laughs> what if I believe that Jesus didn't raise again? Like, you know, I am I going to hell? Am I sending my children to hell? <laughs> like, you know, there's there's this fear that is within me that is a driving force, and then there's this other part of me that says, God is love. God is cast out fear, and yet there's this part of me like it, it's hard to get rid of. It's hard to say, okay, I don't have to, because fear God was a big thing growing up to fear God. And it wasn't explained well, because I definitely feared God, <laughs> like scared of God. When I think it was supposed to be an awe of God, you know, being in awe instead of fearing God is going to come down and smite me and be like, well, I'm going to genocide your people. Because you just really messed up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like, sometimes I find myself going, oh, am I teaching my kids the right thing? And, but what is the what is the right thing? I mean, and sometimes I still struggle with, is, and I hate, it's like, it, it feels bad to say it. I feel dirty to say, like, was, you know, did Jesus raise from the dead? I don't know if that matters to me. I don't know if that did Jesus die for the cause of love and for um, pursuing justice. Yes, definitely. Do I believe in his teachings? Yes. Do I believe that we should look out for the little people and grow and stretch ourselves and say, okay, what does society say is the outcast? And how can I approach them and say, you are not an outcast. You're beautiful who you are. You are loved, you are important, and bring them in with open arms. No matter if they're drinking, a sex worker, if they're homeless, if they're, you know, whatever. Whatever the diversity is, LGBTQ+, it's just like any diversity, skin color, and just, I'm supposed to love them, even if they believe in having more guns, and I don't, and it scares the crap out of me. I need to be a loving person and say, I love you for where you're at. I love you. And it's okay that we have differences and it's okay that we are in two different spaces in almost two different worlds. Because that's what I think Jesus was about. Jesus was about connecting us all, even though we are the poor, the rich, and everything in between. And saying, you need to love each other. You have commonalities and you should celebrate each other's differences. That's what Jesus is for me. Whether I do believe he rose from the dead or not, that is my belief of Jesus and that God is love. And so Emily helped me because I even cried to her once about Easter. I was like, but I love Easter. I love Easter. And so what if I don't believe this anymore? And she's like, but what do you love about Easter? And I was like, well, the hope, the hope that it brings, that there is the hope of something new and maybe forgiveness. I'm not sure if that's the right words, but just, you know, there's hope, there's goodness, 
there can be new life. That's what it is, new life. We can try again. We can make things new in different ways. We can become a new creation. That's that's kind of where that I was going with that. That's like one of my big struggles is like, whether should I say stuff like that out loud? Also relatable. Uh, I will say though, you hit on some really, really important points um, during that part of your story. And I think that it's, it's so interesting because, you know, in community of Christ, there is not one way to think about things, right? There's not mm-hmm. we have absolutely. We have core theology. We have a center identity of who we are and what our message is. But within that, there is room for cultural interpretation of how your congregation, how your ministers, leadership, um, deliver that good news. Right. And so in an area, um, that might, I don't know, I mean, down South in in Oklahoma, there's, you know, there is a lot of evangelical influence. And so I'm assuming that if you went to, you know, Bible camps and things like that, like maybe they were pulling curriculum in from other places, or maybe you were attending other denominations, Bible camps and stuff. So like, you're getting all of these messages that, you know, kind of seep into you as a young impressionable kid. And then you go to college and you meet Tony and Charmaine and they're like, let's put all these scriptures in context. And you're like, wait a second. (laughs) Like it's, it is in a way a faith transition or a crisis of faith or, you know, some sort of evolution in your personal theology. And so I think it's really, really important to like, not forget that part of your story because it, it has made you who you are. And then I'm assuming, and we can talk about this in a little bit, but has informed your current day discipleship and how you teach your kids, right? Like, I know for me, I want to start them at a different starting point than I had as a kid. So it's like, okay, all of that baggage, how much of it can I leave behind and just start at a clean slate from this new starting point with this new understanding of context and justice and what does the message of Jesus actually mean if it's not a resuscitated corpse and I'm not firmly comfortable with that idea or if you are like what what does it mean if if that's your theology right so um I think anytime that we change our beliefs it's really important to give ourselves grace and then continue to be open-minded of really where God is going to continue to lead us. So thank you for sharing that part of your story. It was absolutely relatable to me and I know is going to be relatable to a lot of other people. It definitely felt like a death of something. Yeah. You know, like everything had come out from under me, but I also felt that my root kept me afloat. I felt like whether what my small congregation in Edmond believed or not, I had love there. They loved me. And I had been raised in love. And so that's, if I can not know anything else about God, I just know that love is the root. And that's like the only thing that I know for like, no, 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 deep in my roots. It's just like, that's what everything taught me. Even if I don't keep everything that they taught me, you know, because I appreciate them and where they were and where they're at and what they taught me to help me get to that space. And I 
love them for loving me and holding me up and accepting me um, into their, into the community, you know? And so I think that kind of the, the kids song about, it, you know, like now I can't even remember. Good. But like <laughs> the Wiseman song about build your house upon the rock or whatever. And I was just yep. like, the rest of my house is falling down but I am rooted in love and that's all I've got. Like that's all I know to believe. And so, but I took comfort in their love for me and the love of Christ that they showed me. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to frame that instead of, you know, I know there's a lot of people that reject church or religion or their upbringing or whatever, and they're very resentful about it. And they, you know, it drives wedges between communities, between families, between neighbors, all the things. Um, but it seems like you have a very grace-filled response of acknowledging that, that that foundation, although might be theologically a little bit different, you know, from where your beliefs today, but that foundation was love. And it was that love that carried you through. And I'm assuming, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming that meant love for you and also like your love for God or a higher or inner power, right? They're the ones Mm -hmm. that taught you and introduced you to the concept of love and spirituality and God. So yeah, yeah, that was really beautiful framing. Thank you. Yeah. Can I add something? I'm sorry. No, go for it. Um, Something else. Um, Emily really helped me in my journey. Um, She helped me in mine too. So so, I don't know. Maybe she had you read this book too, but The Dance of the Dissonant Daughter. Uh It's on your bookshelf back there. Yeah, I think. (laughs) I think I see the purple back. (laughs) Oh my gosh. From, because of becoming, coming from a patriarchal, like standpoint and thinking God is man only, you know, like dance of the dissident daughter with Zuma kid that changed my life in a whole other way because I was trying to be good enough for this male God, but I didn't have to be good enough for this woman God. Um, it kind like, and I, I still kind of hold them in two different I haven't combined them yet. I'm really trying to combine them. That's something I'm working on is saying like, they're both the same God. doesn't matter. They don't need to have a gender, but I'm still, I'm still trying to give myself grace and be like, okay, this is where I'm at. (laughs) You know, I'm more into the goddess mother. Like when I say personal prayers, I'm like, goddess mother. Oh, thank you for today. You know, it's or loving creator or, you know, that's kind of what I bring out for other people <laughs> because I feel that sometimes my, uh, my goddess mother might be too abrasive for them, but uh, you know, <laughs> too much different, but like literally, okay. No one else can see this, but behind me is a circle of trees picture. And I shared this book with my mother and the, there's a circle of trees where she has this moment in the book. And I don't even remember the moment, but I remember the feeling. Like, I can't, I can't tell you what the way it was in the book or anything like that. But I just remember this feeling that is with the circle of trees that is like all encompassing and powerful and beautiful. 
and feminine somehow. Like it's been a couple of years since I've read the book and that, I don't know, that just, that started my relationship with Julia. Like I've always had a relationship with trees. <laughs> but, like, I've always been a little bit of a tree hugger, but I became more rooted in nature. I feel like in God through nature, through that book and through acknowledging that the wild and the feminine in me is sacred because for some reason you know like everyone's like Eve is horrible she's the worst like when you're growing up in a more patriarchal and uh conservative area you just like feel like there's something inherently evil about being a woman or bad not necessarily evil but bad like I am second-rate citizen because I'm a woman um and it's not even something you can technically comprehend until like later. You're like, oh, I believe this because of that, <laughs> you know, and seeing that being female wasn't a bad thing. There's feminine, like, and there's femininities in God. There's, there's a sacredness to being who I am and trying to accept, uh, like, I felt like I could accept who I was more because I felt like finally God accepted me for being a woman because God could be a woman and I could, I, it was just a very profound moment to realize it was okay to be me, but I did have worth. Like it just, it felt like a huge moment when that book just was very life changing. And then sharing it with my mother was even because it, 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 I could see the change in her too, you know? And so that was, I don't know that came to my brain and I just wanted to share that because it's just beautiful like having a period isn't an awful thing to hide and there's like I, it talks about your period in the book and so I'm sorry if that makes people squeamish but there there's like a shedding and how that there's a shedding of life and like it's all a part of nature and this is the nature that God created and it just it, I don't know I just made me feel like it was okay to be me <laughs> it's okay to have a uterus <laughs> I don't know. It is okay to have a uterus. Yeah. I think I just felt like a second rate citizen until then. And then I just was like, ah, I do have value. <laughs> so I don't know. Not that anyone ever said to me, you don't have value, you're a woman. It's just like the subliminal underlying messages that we get from the world, from everywhere that are just like, mm. yep. Absolutely. I know 1 million percent what you're talking about. And I had very similar experiences with that book as well. Um, especially, you know, because again, the default of God traditionally is always male. And the narrative around the story of Adam and Eve, like you said, it's that Eve was so bad. And even, you know, if, if it's like, oh, but she made an impossible choice and but like, there are narratives that try to turn that around that are still umbrellaed under a patriarchal lens. And we don't need more of that. We need to blow through that lens and mm -hmm. you know, really reimagine what these texts and just what our concept of God is doing to like real people on the ground. Um, you know, real people in the pews, little girls that are getting messages, um, I absolutely grew up with similar rhetoric about my body and about the shame that I should inherently have because I was a woman. 
And that impacted so many aspects of my life. And to be frank, still does. Um, Because like you said, like that old conditioning still pops up every now and then. And I think all the time, like, oh, and now, you know, now I have two girls that are almost 13, two daughters, and I'm having to check myself constantly that I'm not passing down. And I know that I'm not perfect either. So that I'm limiting the damaging rhetoric that I pass down to them. Right. Um, And I don't let my insecurities and my religious baggage, you know, be imprinted on them. Like it's something that I have to actively fight against literally every single day. Um, And it comes up in ways that impact women more than they impact men, like modesty or, you know, just sexuality. Like there's so, I I could talk about this all day long. There's so many things. And actually I've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot to deconstruct. And um, yeah, so I understand completely what you're saying. It's interesting because like, I'm so scared because I have two boys and I'm like, I don't want them to objectify women. I don't want them to do this or that. But what if they like men? That's fine. And then I'm like, (laughs) It's, it's like a spiral of feeling out of control to wanting them to be the best them and to it's just it's overwhelming to try and be like I want them to understand consent I didn't even know about consent like no one ever taught us about consent back in the 90s like you know what I mean it was just like don't have sex have a purity ring like that's where I come from I had a purity ring (laughs) and (laughs) you know and that's where it comes from and so like I know this is like really off topic but I don't even know how to approach sex yeah I don't know like my brain just says no sex before marriage that's the right thing and then I'm like well but is it like I don't let's that's a whole new topic (laughs) I'm sorry well no and this is yes it's absolutely relevant and you know I am glad that you brought up raising little boys too because I have a son and it's it's also something that I have to actively work against um, letting that patriarchal religious baggage touch him, right? Because I love my family of origin, but it was undeniable that my brothers were more important than the girls. And I could list a hundred reasons why that was, right? Or like evidences that that was the messaging I got. Yeah. And so I'm like very, very, very sensitive to it. Whereas um, you know, my husband's just like, well, yeah, just treat them all equally. And I'm like, but I just, ugh. and like, it's so much harder for me because if I see my daughters, you know, doing more around the house, like I just lose it. I'm like, Grant, you know, like you've got that. And then I'm like, okay, but he's also younger. And like, so yeah, it's totally, completely understandable that all of these messages just get wrapped up in in the trickiness of raising the next generation. And I mean, we're doing the best we can and hopefully we don't mess it up too much, but they'll do better than we did. And the cycle. Right. Right. Yeah. Like there's something like, I really don't like kids hitting. Hitting is like, I don't know, it's a trigger or something. I don't know. But like when my kid hits a girl and that, that like, boom, it's like 10 times like the anxiety, the upset. And I'm just like losing my shenanigans. And I'm like, calm down. Calm down. 
they're not trying to be like meanies, you know, but it's just like, oh no, they hit a girl. Like, yeah. it just sometimes it feels like the end of the world. And you're just like, why? Why, why am I here? <laughs> because yeah. I don't want it to get to where, oh, I'm better than girls. Like, we went to pre K this year and we had some, uh, we had some interesting changes with Quentin. Um, pink is for girls. And I said, no, pink is for everyone, you know, cause I'm trying to raise my kids to be who they truly are. I don't want ever them to feel ashamed about anything, whether they are straight, gay, bi, trans. I don't care. I want them to feel loved and accepted for their sexuality. If they're asexual, if, if they, you know, all of the things and you know, and then the world starts saying, this is for girls. Girls are better than boys. Like, it's just, it happens at school. And you're just like, I don't know. How do you stop? You can't stop it. That's the problem. <laughs> and so it just feels out of, you know, and it feels out of control. And like, I have a bazillion books about strong women and I try and collect more and more all the time and read it to them. Like African-American strong women. And like, just, she persists and boys that dance and like we need more diversity in that area so that they can learn that to love everyone like you are the most privileged like to know that my kid is a white male possibly cis you know they have the most privilege of all and how do I help them walk through life with a understanding kind heart for the Lord that is compassionate and yet can be a good listener and all this stuff that we put on each like ourselves and I just have so much anxiety about that <laughs> that's that is my complete anxiety like every day <laughs> how do I how do I, I help the compassionate children that is my goal for them like and they all they have beautiful hearts already but I'm just worried that the world's going to crush it <laughs> you know because it kind of crushed me because I've been there, done that. I don't know. I'm sorry. You're not my therapist. <laughs> this is, but it, it's absolutely what these interviews are about. I mean, not therapy, but getting right. to the nitty gritty of how living discipleship and being able to model what does healthy masculinity and healthy femininity and when I say healthy, I mean like that it's not a binary and that we can bust through those cultural expectations and that we don't have to um, carry around the patriarchal structures and baggage and expectations that, you know, our generation was just given, um, mm -hmm. as was the generation before that and the generation before that. And, uh, you know, how do we be the ones that break those cycles, but break them open into more compassion and more love? Like I, yeah, these are all the questions that I'm wrestling with as well. And I, we just take it one day at a time. <laughs> yep. Hope we're doing an okay job. <laughs> Same yeah. But I guess that brings me to some other questions about, you know, your involvement with Community of Christ and how that has impacted like parenting or, you know, where you are today as far as like skills you have or communication, conflict resolution, that kind of stuff. Like just how, how has your discipleship in community of Christ formed you? And obviously we're moms. So onto your, your family structure. 
So right now I am a part of a congregation that's merging. So we had this thing called impact and before COVID COVID killed us. Um, we were doing this really cool thing. Like I thought it was super cool. Like different people would be in charge and they would bring their, their way that spoke to them spiritually. Like maybe one Sunday it would be a discussion. The next it would be arts and crap. Like, you know, we'd paint, we'd make cookies for the teachers in the, in the community or like exploring different facets of God and um, in all the ways that we could explore expressing God, being outside, being inside, singing, you know, these are the different things that feed our spirituality that don't look like a sandwich, don't look like a regular um, Sunday, you know, um, and we were doing this at night at the time and um, it was like 10 times easier because I only had one kid. <laughs> And literally I could just let them walk around and run around and other people would be like with them or, you know, whatever. Like I didn't feel stressed out this. It wasn't a chore to go to impact. Like right now church is kind of a chore, which stinks because what should church look like for my kids? I don't know. I want it to be more like impact was, but also trying to meet the needs of everyone else as well, who still feel that a sermon is the most beautiful thing ever. And I, I love sermons, but I also just wanting like a combination of more, more ways to express spirituality. That's been really moving me lately. I feel like I'm trying to like answer all the questions in my head all at once. I feel like Graceland introduced me to a lot of different people and opened my eyes at that point, so in that point in my life, I thought I had never met someone who was gay or whatever or anything. And I met John and, you know, being queer was never talked about in my family. There's just like, there's just some things that were never talked about. And so meeting someone who is queer and meeting, um, we are, we had international students meeting people who are from Pakistan and were Muslim and learning about all these different religions, I feel like gave me a more compassionate and understanding heart to where, when it came time for our U.S. conference that we had about the LGBTQ plus community and whether we were like, I can't remember what it was called. But it was just the U.S. because other countries struggle with this and people are murdered and not that they don't get murdered here. But you do you know what I mean? Do you remember what I'm talking about? The U.S. conference? Was it just the U.S. conference? Yeah. National conference. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> National conference. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, sometimes I get hung up. I have ADD. And so sometimes I just get hung up on stuff. I'm like, oh, good. You're good. <laughs> And so at national conference, I just, I don't know, something was stirring within me and I was able to, because at that point I was on, I was like, it is time. We need to change. We need to move and grow. But I was able to hold space for the people who didn't agree with me. I don't know if it's because people at Graceland like held space for me 
in my, like, I feel like it was modeled for me. <laughs> People held space for me in my time of great struggle and great confusion and unknowingness. And so I feel like through learning from them and holding space for me, I feel like that helped me to learn and grow to hold space for others. And there was this one man who was just really struggling. Um, he just kept going in and out. And he had vocally talked about how he just didn't understand. And he felt like he was being separated from the church and that like, or it was something he didn't understand. And he was verbally against it. And yet very saddened and confused and and this great compassion came over me and I felt like I needed to tell him to hug him and tell him that I loved him and so one of the times when he came back I said can I hug you and we did and I said I love you and I don't know that was like it was like a learning moment for me as well as a moment where I felt like I felt like God's compassion had given like it was definitely spirit-led it just felt like the utmost compassion I had. My heart was breaking for him, for his struggle. And he needed my love and support too. That's what it is. So he needed my love and support where he was at. And I still needed to love and support my friends in the queer community. And I just feel like it was a learning moment. And that's that's kind of been the thing that I go back to. Because these last years with certain people in charge in the United States has been crazy. <laughs> it has felt like a roller coaster of madness and just so much hate and anger. And it breaks my heart. And is I've definitely felt calloused at times where I just like, there's just parts of me that never want to watch TV ever again, or not just t like the news. I never want to turn on the news. And that's horrible because I want to be informed but I'm not informed because I don't watch the news. And then <laughs> it just hurts so much to see all of this pain and horrible, horrible way that we, we interact with each other. And it just gets me. And yet I am also part of the problem because I'm hiding myself in my house. <laughs> I am hiding away from the problem instead of facing it. And saying, this hurts. This sucks. How can I help? How can I be a better listener? How can I support you in your need? You know, it's, it feels so overwhelming at times. But I just, trying to realize that I need to be there for the person who does not think like me. And the person who does think like me. And all the people in between. You know, that, I feel like that's where God is leading me right now. And that's, it's just, it's all like built up from where I was and who I am and where I'm going is that holding space for people, no matter where they're at and saying, you know what? God loves that person. I don't get their ideas. I don't get why they're being so mean and hateful and unkind. And they probably don't see that. Like they don't see it like I see it. But I need to see them and say, you are loved, you are worthy, you are good enough. There is kindness in your heart. Whether I can see it or not, there is a part of them that is doing the best they can with what they have. Whether how ill-informed it is or not. And trying to hold space. That's 
I think that's my calling right now is to hold space, trying to hold space for myself for one thing, because self love is not, <laughs> this is not what was taught. It was like self-hatred. Um, <laughs> hate yourself and God will love you. Um, <laughs> like trying to hold space for myself and have self care even is like this huge struggle because you're supposed to do all this work. This is what a mom looks like. A mom takes care of the children. Like it's so conservative in there, in my head. And it's hard to say, well, this is a partnership. I don't have to do all this stuff. (laughs) Like I'm just trying to redefine what love looks like in our partnership. What does God's love look like in a family where we are changing the roles of woman and man and where because sometimes I get just like you said it just pops up and I get stuck there and I have these expectations for myself and then I have expectations for other people or what other people think I have expectations for me and so trying to hold space for me is like this huge this is like my worst problem but I need to work on that so I can better hold space for others like I just never knew I had to do me first and then others, because it, it, you know, there used to be a thing like Jesus, God, others, you, or something like that. And, and so that's just so ingrained. And so I think that's a part of what keeps me stagnant and not helping others is I have put myself in this box that keeps me where I'm at, keeps me at home. It keeps me from saying, you know, I, I can do this. I have the ability. I have the power. I, I should, I could, I would. So I trying to hold space. I have to start with me. I have to hold space for myself and realize that God's love is for me. And I like just constantly telling myself I'm worthy and, and okay. So that I can see the worth of all persons and hold their worth up. Whether we are in the same circles or not. I hope that answered the question. It did. And I think you just gave all of us therapy 101, right? You know, in in the grand scheme of things, like your relationship with you, your relationship with yourself is going to impact literally every other relationship that you have. And um, that includes your relationship with God. And that includes your relationship with your spouse and with your children and with your neighbors and with your friends and with the people in your congregation. And with the people who voted across the aisle from you and mm-hmm. um, being able to find love and compassion for yourself is the same. The, the Love and compassion for others is rooted in that love and compassion for yourself. And when you were taught with subliminal messaging that you're not important, yep. or that, you know, God is scary and God is mad at you and all the things that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to dig yourself out of that and say like, oh, I can't actually fully love others until I love myself. Like that is a big, that's, that's a big lesson to learn. And one that I think all of us are continually learning. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And so vulnerably. And, um, I, again, I just keep saying like, I totally relate, but I really do. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, so let's, let's just talk about like religion in communities today. Like, so, I mean, you already kind of answered this question, but like the frustration and the tension of like, 
wanting a community for your kids um, that keeps them active and involved and engaged. So I'm I'm wondering what you see as far as like the benefits of organized religion, even if it doesn't look maybe how we would want it to all the time. Um, and then, you know, what keeps you active and involved in Community of Christ particularly? And then how can we just continue that into the future? So I find I find value in the community and I want that for my kids. I enjoyed growing up in a community where it was multi-generational and I could go to Wednesday nights and hear people's testimonies. And I feel like I learned a lot and I heard more about life. I I feel like Wednesday night was more of a church for me than like (laughs) anything else, you know? And and like me and my sister were like the only freaking kids there, but it was the relational part, having relations and getting to know the person And seeing how God impacted their life, that for me is what I want for my children. And I want them to not like, I don't want this to be like just a young person's church or just an old person's church. Like I enjoy the intergenerational. I feel like I learn from older people and younger people and kids, like kids are teaching us all the time, man. And I, I want that diversity for my children and for me, I I want diversity. The relationships keep me going because there's a lot of times where I'm just like, I, I don't want to go to church today. I don't. I'm going to have to keep my kids quiet. I'm going to have to stress out about whether they're being too loud. Can I keep them in one spot? Right now, it is more of a chore to go to church than it is a joy other than seeing the smiles when older people see my children and, you know, my children interacting with them and like before and after church, it's like, I come for before and after church. I mean, there's good stuff in the middle too. And they are trying to do it different at this new place that we're doing it, like having more discussions. And I feel like we're trying to change in a direction that is more inclusive of more ways that we differently access God. Cause I think it's very, right now it's very sermonal and it's, this is the way that we do it. This is how we get to God through, you know, I'm not sure how to say it properly, but realizing that we all worship and feel God in different ways. Some people go outside and just listen. Some people meditate. Some people read and do study study scriptures. And there's just so many different facets and pathways to God. Oh my gosh, Charmaine, I love her. And I love Tony too. Um, but like one of the most eye-opening things that she ever did for me is I don't even remember what it was. I don't know if it was a class or just something I went to, but she talked about all the different religions and how they're all pathways to God. And I was like, that's like everything. That's, that's it. Like we all have different pathways that we get to God. We all have different things that like resonate with us differently. Like music really gets my heart and, and conversations like this, like are spiritually, like I'm being fed by talking to you and knowing that you have the same struggles and not feeling alone in this. The relational part for me is what really just like charges me up. And so wanting to share that and show that we can do that in different ways. I'm just, I'm ready to try new things and yet keep some of I'm ready for an intermix of things because there's things that I find very beautiful about the older way to worship. You know, I enjoy hymns and 
you know, I do enjoy the occasional sermon because that is like, a, it's like a personal testimony in itself, but it's also like, it's, it's a combo of things. And so it's the relationships that keep me in community of Christ and our belief system and that I can have different beliefs than everybody else <laughs> in the same, you know, I enjoy the freedom within our community to believe other things than other people. And yet say, I love you. I don't care. We're, it, it's fine. So that's definitely what keeps me in community of Christ is relationships that I have, but I'm ready for us to grow and have new expressions of the church. I know that's like a, a, a wordage that's been put together for a while, but just to explore new pla- new ideas and way, like what can it look like? Maybe one Sunday, let's, let's go out into the community and like do something with them. You know, that's like, that's something Jesus would do. You know, like go sit with those sinners, like go out into the community and be, be there like outreach. I get pumped about all those different things. And I, that's what keeps me here is that I see, I see um, that we can move into different ways of doing it and that we will eventually. I, I just, I see a, a lot of, and I'm hoping that you know, we can figure it out because I'd really like something a little different. And I know that having to keep your children quiet at church definitely keeps a lot of young adults away. It's hard work. (laughs) Sit down, be quiet, you know, and it was easier back in the day because, you know, you got a swat and you'd you'd shut up and sit down. (laughs) Gentle parenting wasn't a thing. Holding your feelings wasn't a thing. (laughs) Oh, I know. This would work out better, (laughs) but it's not, it's not how I want to parent. So how do you gentle parent and have your children express their feelings and be who they are and have them be a part of the church? And I want them to know that their value, that even for as five and two, they have worth in the church and that they bring something to the table because they're like, sometimes I still feel very small. I'm 32. And sometimes I still feel like this little girl off to the side going, Ooh, I don't know if I can share or if I could do this input because I'm just a little girl or, you know, I'm just, I'm this young person. So I don't have much pull or not pull, but like say, like, I don't have much to offer because, you know, the older people are in charge. Sometimes I feel so small. Do I have, you know, what, you know, to, can I offer this up? Will they just laugh at me for that? You know, this is a good idea, but maybe it's not the right time. Is it, is it ever the right time? <laughs> so I'm just trying to have confidence as well as feeling like I can truly be a part of the community and wanting my kids to feel that way. Well, I think that you also just touched on a lot of things that I've heard a wide variety of millennials talk about this. It's almost like the passing of the baton, right? This idea of like, okay, we're Mm -hmm. to raise the next generation of the church and also get, you know, the baton of like leadership roles and camp directors and things like that, like that passed on to us at the same time. And I get that like every generation has gone through this, but <laughs> we are in a, an, an era right now where churches everywhere are shrinking and people are walking away from religion. They, they, they don't have the same pull. Religion doesn't have the same pull as it once did. And so on top of all of this, we're trying to figure out why we're sticking with church and why we should convince other people to stick around with church. And it's like, okay, there's a lot on our plate. There's a lot on our plate. So yeah, I definitely yeah. hear that tension in just about every one of these interviews that I do. Um, so 
if you didn't realize already, know that you're not alone <laughs> in, in yeah. this feeling. Yeah. And in some places like, cause before I had kids, there's a church that tried to like, they were trying to be amazingly awesome and have like get the young adults like really into it. But it was like, I felt like they were trying to put me in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's either they're trying to get you to do everything or nothing. It, there's not a lot of in between. So, oh, will you be in charge of this? Will you do this? Will you do that? And I'm, I'm seeing a little bit more of the in between. But it just felt overwhelming. And I was like, I just like, I closed off and I didn't participate at all because I just, I felt like this overwhelming, like anticipation of what it could be and what they wanted it to be. And I was like, I don't know if I can make that happen. I don't know if I can be some miracle worker and get all these young adults to come to church. Like it just felt very overwhelming. And then, so it kind of made me back away and be like, running away, but I want to be in it. I want to be in it. I want to be a part of it. And I want to, I do want to invite other people back to church, but I want church to look different. So it's hard to invite them when church doesn't look different yet in the way that we can feel free to be ourselves and yet having a spiritual experience. No, I think you're making absolute sense. And honestly, this kind of brings me to, you know, one of my last questions is what is your hope for the future of community? So, you know, as, as this denomination figures out who we are going to be into the future and what things are going to look like, uh, what are some of your hopes? I'm very hopeful that in that. So I've gone to two reunions this year and had two different experiences and they're both beautiful experiences, but um, we've really been talking about discerning and spiritual discernment and um. I just feel like we're asking really good questions right now. Um, at least the two reunions I went to, like, you know, what does leadership look like? Like, what is, um, what do the next steps of the church look like? And, and, and the different lenses and trying to dig deeper into what makes, what makes church church uh, or what makes worship worship. And I feel like a lot of us are more in the same place than we think. Because I know sometimes it's like, oh, the old people aren't ready to change. But sometimes there, there's a lot of quote unquote older people who are ready for change. I just, I feel like I'm, I'm hopeful for more communication. We have these tools now. COVID gave us a bunch of tools. A lot of crap happened with COVID, but it also gave us a lot of tools that we had to use. And we do have Zoom now and we can do this. So why, why not have more communication, more communication between all the pastors in the United States or in, even in, in different countries, like eventually, but right, right now there's a lot of people that feel alone and small and kind of abandoned. Like they are doing everything to keep their church alive. And my hope is for more communication because we, we have the network. We have this whole beautiful church through the U.S., through the different countries. We're all in this together, but we find ourselves feeling very isolated. And I'm hopeful for more communication, more maybe some Zoom meetings with pastors so they don't feel alone and they can get new ideas from others, like, you know, sharing and creating together in ways that we've never done before because we never thought about it because you had to write, you know, an email or you had to write that, like, you know, it's all slower forms of communication. And now we have these faster ways of communicating and I'm hopeful that we will use those tools to lift each other up 
and not feel so alone and to bring forth a new way of being through that and finding community everywhere and just having there's just so there's just so much opportunity waiting to be grabbed and I'm just I'm so hopeful that there's more communication and more interconnectedness of the church where we talk to each other we ask you know, people from Oregon or, or Utah or wherever, like, have you have a sermon in Oklahoma on Zoom or you have some us do a spiritual practice in Oklahoma on Zoom or something that you're passionate about coming to us at different places and really seeing each other for who we are and saying, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to explore this pathway and really just be present And I feel like that starts with communicating and being more vulnerable with us, taking away the shame, the the underlying shame of a lot of things. I feel like there's a lot of shame. And so we don't talk, we don't talk about things. When we don't talk about things, we give them power. We give them so much power. And I want us to talk more. I want us to talk about people who've had abortions, people who are gay and queer people who are alcoholics and like just things that are like somewhat taboo in our society, like in community of Christ and, and just ha- like, not that, not that any of those things are necessarily taboo, but like they've been made black and white when there is gray. And I want us to be more open and compassionate towards that. And that is my hope that we will say, Instead of going, oh, she had an abortion and just going, boom, wrong, not considering where she's come from or what happened to lead to this. There's more. There's always more to the story. There's always a human suffering behind a choice that you think might be wrong or right or there's human suffering and human need and want for love and we need to just be more open and vulnerable so that we don't feel alone because half the problem is we feel alone like i i didn't know i was queer until like 2030 something i don't know it I, i just it feels like i just found out and i'm married and i it just feels it feels weird to share that and a lot of people don't know that about me that I'm pansexual and a lot of people don't know what pansexual means. And so I'm just like, well, it's kind of like, bye, but not really. I'm not trying to have a coming out story on here, but I'm just like, there's these things that we don't talk about and that are shamed. And so we disconnect and I'm ready for more connection. I'm ready for more transparency for us to talk about losing children and like, you know, having miscarriages and there's just so much. Yeah. There's just so much that we could be doing and talking about and making less of a shameful thing if we talked about it and said, yeah, I did this. I'm not happy about it. Or I did this and that was the right decision. Or, you know, does that make sense? No, it absolutely does. And I think what you're describing is a very authentic community where folks can come together without shame in vulnerability and just be themselves and know that they're loved. And it kind of brings me back to the things that you were talking about at the very beginning of just like getting to know a God that accepts you for who you are in and everything that that means 
And if we can get a community to reflect that God, like that's the goal, right? Like that's Zion. That's the, yes. that's like the arrival of, <laughs> of mm-hmm. where we need to be as a, as a human race. And um, I think that, you know, it can get really overwhelming because there's a lot of indicators that we have a ton of work to do, but the more people start having these conversations and admitting you know, I also think of the Me Too movement and, and how that got people talking. Mm-hmm. And we need more movements okay. like that, more conversations that just bring out the humanity in each of us, because that's how we're going to connect to each other. And if we can learn how to accept each other in all of our stuff, uh, that's going to reflect in our theology as well. So yeah, you're saying good stuff, my friend. You are saying good stuff. Thank you. And really, thank you for this interview. I think it's been so unique. I think that several of the people that we've interviewed for Chai Can't Even just kind of, you know, grew up almost in this post-transition church where, you know, maybe their parents were the ones that had to deconstruct a lot of this stuff or, um, you know, face what do we do with women in the priesthood and things like that? But I can tell that through, you know, through your story that those things really impacted you probably more than some other millennials in the church. So I just want to thank you for your vulnerability and um, for your openness to be able to share your story. I definitely don't want to leave you hanging without making sure that you got everything out. So usually I just end these by saying, is there anything else that you uh, you know, would want to say or any any final thoughts before we wrap up? It's really easy to talk to you. So I hope you know that. <laughs> I want you to know that. I, Good. I feel like I just want to keep talking to you and talking to you. Like, and I mean, we could do that. <laughs> I don't know. There's like things I'm like thinking about, but I'm just like, is it relevant? I don't know. I just to add on just like, and I feel like we need to talk about things like sexual assault and um, sexual abuse and stuff like to bring it to light because I didn't even like to be honest growing up like sexual assault is the definition for me is rape that's pretty much it you know like we aren't taught what is sexual assault it's anything that you didn't give consent to and it's like I just found that out (laughs) we need to talk about these things in a safe space in a community where we feel loved and accepted so that we don't hurt the next generation and not talking about it and not saying that is an abuse right there. If they say no and you, or they give you a look or something that means no, what, what is consent? And like, what does it look like? I just want to be able to talk about that in these communities so that other women and men do not have to feel isolated and alone and ashamed and like it just all kind of ties together but for me right now I'm stuck on sexual assault because the more people know the more they can do the more we can do as a community to say oh this really is a problem people don't know it's a problem unless we talk about it and say yeah this happened to me. They go, oh, you know, we just we don't think problems are happening in our community until someone says, this has happened to me. It's the problem is out there somewhere, not in our community. You know, it's it feels far away when I want us to realize that it's right there. And, and that's why I want more openness and community. Like, let's talk about this. Yeah. 
more transparency and, and all of that because we're suffering in our own congregations and we just don't talk about it. Again, holding space for us, holding space for that congregation, heal that congregation, and we can better go out and help others and be hold space for them. It, it just all kind of loops around in my head. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, this goes along with what you were saying before. And if we can show up and tell our stories and be in a loving community that is going to actually not only hear, but validate our stories, um, you know, it, it, and then allow that narrative to transform our community and to say like, it stops with us and no more. And we are going to do things that actually protect the worth of all persons and have that be our new starting point. Um, I think is so important on a variety of topics. Um, but yeah, these, these places, like you said, these conversations that we just don't want to talk about and, um, Mm -hmm. Like you said, not talking about it gives it more power. So to destigmatize, to de-shame, and to just be able to show up for one another in actual sacred community, um, I think mm-hmm. is always the goal. So thank you. Yeah. Anything else? That was it. That was on my mind. <laughs> no, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that you shared it. And uh, yeah, your story has been great and I really appreciate you sharing it and um, you know how open and authentic and honest you've been. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for asking me and thanks for listening. 